I was born at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Mount Sinai. That logo traces back to the original Mount Sinai in the Sinai Desert. Some say this is the actual mountain where the most important event in history took place. This mountain is situated is located in the Sinai Desert in the Sinai Peninsula where God said the Ten Commandments to the Jewish nation. The Ten Commandments is to what billions of people trace their faith to, to this revelation at Sinai. This monument of the Ten Commandments was erected a couple of years ago in Arkansas, as well as other monuments in other states, the Ten Commandments. And right at the top you have the two tablets or it's shaped like the two tablets visit any synagogue and you will see a image of the two tablets containing some writings of the ten commandments today we will explore what happened at sinai good afternoon it's rabbi heshi it's time for lunch and learn on tuesdays at twelve fifteen, where we take a topic every week and explore it's from the Torah's perspective, from Kabbalah, from Talmud, from Jewish mysticism and Hasidic philosophy. And today we will be exploring what happened at Sinai. How did the Ten Commandments get to us? And the lessons that this story has to inspire us. So join me for a 60-minute lesson titled, Saw You at Sinai, and hopefully after 60 minutes or so, we will emerge with a better understanding of this amazing, unmatched event in history. I'll begin with a blessing. Baruch atah Adonai, lehina malach oilam, sha'akor, niyabit varoi. On the Jewish calendar, we are just about 10 days away from the holiday of Shavuot, Shavuos which commemorates this amazing event, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai 3,335 years ago. In preparation for this holiday, I chose this topic to explore what exactly happened at Mount Sinai. Of course, we know that we received the Ten Commandments. How exactly did this come about? What does the Torah tell us? And what are the Torah's messages for us as we prepare for this upcoming holiday, which begins next week, Thursday, in the evening, May 25th in the evening. So here we go. Today's lesson has a source sheet, as usual, with English sources from Torah, from Talmud, from Kabbalah. We will emphasize on some of the mystical ideas behind this extraordinary event. And... On this post, you have a link to today's source sheet or check your email inbox. And we are going to get started. Hello, Jack. And the holiday of Shavuot is not just a day when we are commemorating what happened thousands of years ago at Mount Sinai at a certain location, but rather the holidays are a time for us to relive and re-experience and recommit ourselves to what this holiday is all about. So learning the story of what happened thousands of years ago hopefully will inspire us 
how we will go about our lives in preparation and experiencing this holiday. Hello, Jody. Hello, Roy. It's good to be back. Last week was Lag Omer on Tuesday. It's been quite a busy day. We had a very large celebration, but I'm excited to be back and here to study Torah. So, we are going to begin and hopefully they print it out and here we go. Hello, Brian. If you can hear me, yeah, if you can just let me know. Just making sure my connection is good. And we will begin. Okay, our, div- our lesson is divided into four sections. And we are going to uh, jump right into source number one. The importance of this amazing event that happened so many years ago. Here we go, source number one. It is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, the fifth book of the five books, where Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, is lecturing the Jewish people shortly before his passing. He is recounting their journey in the desert for 40 years, reminding them of all the teachings of the Torah. And here is a quote from his words. Hello, Reb Hank. Source number one, watch yourself very well. Of course, he didn't speak English, he spoke Hebrew, but here is a translation. Watch yourself very well, lest you forget the things that your eyes saw. You shall make them known to your children and to your grandchildren. The day you stood before God at Chorev, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people for me, and I will let them hear my words. So here Moses, Moshe is instructing the Jewish people, number one, not to forget the things that your eyes saw. We have a mitzvah, not to forget. We have an instruction, and Moses is just repeating what God is telling him to tell the Jewish people, not to forget what our eyes saw. The people in the desert, they had personally witnessed God's revelation at Sinai. So not to forget Number two, not just not to forget ourselves, but to actually transmit this memory to our children and grandchildren who may have not been present at Mount Sinai. And the children have a mitzvah that they should transmit this information to their children. Which information? The story of the day that you stood before God and you heard God's words. And God said to me, to Moses, assemble the people around the... Chorev. What is Chorev? Chorev is another name for Sinai. We will see other sources where the Torah explicitly mentions Sinai and it is called Chorev. So Chorev is another name, another biblical name for Mount Sinai. Hello, Judy and Ira, if you're there. So we have a mitzvah. That's our first source here. It's actually one of the six remembrances that we are supposed to remember every day. We are supposed to remember this episode, this amazing experience, important event at Mount Sinai, to remember it, not to forget, and not just ourselves, but to actually teach our children the story, the revelation at Sinai, what happened at Sinai. So today we will explore a little bit what is this all about, what exactly happened, what is the story that the Torah tells us, especially when the time of the year comes around, when we commemorate, it's the anniversary of this experience on the holiday of Shavuot, which begins next week, Thursday in the evening. It is a time to think about and study what happened. And when we 
celebrate this holiday. We bring the children, as the Torah says here, let your children, tell your children, make it known to them and your grandchildren. And that is why we gather on the first day of Shavuot, next week Friday on May 26, and we read from the Torah the story of the revelation at Sinai. We read the Ten Commandments. Of course, we have an ice cream party and a dairy dinner because that's how we celebrate with dairy foods, which is a topic unto itself. Why specifically dairy? But we tell the story to the next generation. Now, this event was not just a unique and exclusive event, but a very critical and historic event. As we see in source number two, going back thousands of years before the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, at the beginning of creation, the Torah tells us the six days of creation, after the sixth day, God concludes designing and creating this magnificent world, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. He was happy with his work. And it was evening and it was morning, the sixth day. The sixth day came to a close and Shabbos began. Now, if you look closely at the Hebrew wording, every other day, after each day, it says God saw... It was good, it was morning, it was, e- it was evening, it was morning, and it was day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. And when it comes to six, it says it was the sixth day. It doesn't say it was day six. It was the sixth day. There's something extra here. There's an extra hey. Hey, it means the. But there's an extra letter. Yom Hashishi in Hebrew. Usually it says Yom Echad, day one. Yom Sheni, day two. All of a sudden it comes to day six. The Torah adds a hey. Yom Hashishi. Says the Midrash, continuing in source two, scripture added the letter hey to tell us that he stipulated with them, with creation, with the creatures, you were created on the condition that the Jewish people accept the five books of the Torah. You see, every letter in the Aleph base, in the Hebrew alphabet, has a numerical value. Aleph is one, and He is five. So there's an extra letter He over here, because when God concluded the six days of creation, He made a condition, He stipulated with them, hey, I know I just created this magnificent world, but the reason why I created this world is that eventually, in about two and a half thousand years, the Torah will be offered to the Jewish people, which will then be a nation. And if they accept the Torah, they accept the five books that I will transmit and I will teach to the Jewish people, to Moses, who will communicate it to the Jewish people, then, okay, you guys will continue to be in existence. But if not then there's no purpose to this whole creation. It's all dependent on the goal of the Torah being accepted by the Jewish people and practiced by the Jewish people. That's the Yom Hashishi, says the Midrash, the five books of Moses. And more explicit in source number three, to the book of Psalms, the earth feared and became calm. The earth feared and became calm. These are the words of King David. Again, this is part of Torah. It's not the five books. It's part of the Tanakh, the entire scriptures, the 24 books, which is divided into the five books of Moses. Then you have the prophets. And then you have the third section, which is scriptures, which contains a book called Psalms, written by King David, which King David is also very much related to the holiday of Shavuot, besides Moses, who gave us the Torah, because King David was born and passed on his 70th birthday on the first day of Shavuot. 
So the book of Psalms written and compiled by King David is very much associated with this holiday. And in chapter 78, King David says, The earth feared and became calm in connection to this giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And the Talmud explains what's behind this verse. God established a condition with the act of creation. If Israel accepts the Torah on the sixth day of Sivan, you will exist. And if they do not accept it, I will return you to the primordial state of chaos and disorder. Therefore, the earth was afraid until the Torah was given to Israel. Once the Jews accepted the Torah, the earth was calmed. And in this interpretation of the Talmud, a bit different than the Midrash, then the idea of is not the extra letter hey, but hashishi means not just day six, but the sixth day. What is the famous sixth day? The sixth day of the month of Sivan, which was the day on the Jewish calendar when the Torah was given to the Jewish people, when the Ten Commandments were uttered by God in the presence of millions of Jewish people around Mount Sinai. It took place on the sixth day. So when the Torah adds the word hey, hashishi, we have the Midrash interpretation, the extra hey, the numerical value is five, alluding to the five books of Moses. Or in the Talmud's words, the sixth day. Ha means the, the absolute, the famous sixth day. Not just the sixth day of creation, but the sixth, which was Rosh Hashanah, the sixth day of Sivan, which the Torah was given to the Jewish people. So the earth feared for two and a half thousand years or so, but then was calm once the Jewish people accepted the Torah. So this event was not just a amazing event and an important event, which billions of people live their lives um, somewhat in accordance, I would hope, with these Ten Commandments and this Torah that was given to the Jewish people. But it was a critical event upon which the whole creation was dependent. And I know that's very bold. I'm not making this up. This is what the Talmud tells us. Because this was the purpose and fulfillment of creation. Source number four. Since the day that God created man upon the earth. This is going back to Moses talking to the Jewish people and saying, this event was just so unique that you guys need to never forget this and teach this. Tell this to your children, and they should tell it to their children from generation to generation. Since the day that God created man upon the earth, was there anything like this great thing? Did ever a people hear God's voice speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Upon the earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words. This is something unmatched, something unique and exclusive, and not to get into it too detailed, but what's unique about this story is that there are other claims to revelations of other religions or other stories, but every single revelation story begins with an individual or a small group of people witnessing, experiencing a revelation. And they come and say the story to others, and it is believed because I can. And it's, it's very hard to prove someone wrong if they tell you they had a revelation. If I choose to believe that person, I trust that person, then 
then uh, you know this uh, theory, this uh, story gets started and, and passed around. The Jewish story doesn't start like that. The Jewish story starts that there were millions of people, of Jewish people, standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and we all witnessed with our own eyes God descending on the mountain and telling us the Ten Commandments. This is not that Moses told it to us. We were all there, our grandparents. And we all heard it from our grandparents. As the Torah tells us in source number 5, the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, about 600,000 on foot, the men, besides the young children, from 20 years old and older. So 600,000 is just the men from 20. And all the children and all the women, that's way over a million. And, you know, those that did the, the math will tell you it's about two or maybe three million Jewish people there. And interesting, the Midrash says they were all joined by, they were joined by all the millions of unborn souls of their descendants and all of all the converts of future generations. You see, God has a storage of souls. All souls were created at the beginning of time. And each soul awaits their appointed time to be born and come down to this world and live their lives. All of those future souls were present at this historic event at Mount Sinai. And even the future souls of the converts, which will eventually join the Jewish people. Hence the name Sayu at Sinai for a dating app or dating site where they have matchmakers that will help you find your bashert, find your soulmate. Sayu at Sinai because we are all united in the fact that we were all there at Mount Sinai whether it was our great-great-grandparents that were all there, but actually us, our souls, were all present there, says the Midrash. It is something that was so unique that it was a one-time event, and it was such a unmatched thing that ever had never happened before and never will happen again, and therefore God brought all of us, all our souls there, that even if we don't remember it, but our souls remember it. So saw you at Sinai. We were all there standing together. That concludes our first section here. How important this event is. Never happened before. It is something we should not forget. It's something we should tell our children. It is something upon which the whole creation is being, the purpose of creation is being realized with the giving of the Torah. This is a very monumental event. So we're going to move on to our second section and try to go into the days leading up to this event and in our third section, the actual event and, of course, intertwined with some lessons how we can re-experience this story and this upcoming holiday 3,335 years later. Hello, Sasha and Stan and everybody else joining on. Moving on to our second section, source number six. So it all began with the Jewish people in Egypt. They are being enslaved. Moshe, Moses, escapes Egypt, story onto itself, and he makes his way to Midian, where he meets his wife, Zipporah, and he is working for his father-in-law, Yisro, Jethro, and he is a shepherd. He has taken care of his father-in-law's sheep. Tells us the Torah 
Source number six, Moshe led the flocks of his father-in-law after the free pasture land. And he came to the mountain of God to Chorev, mountain of God, called Chorev. Why is it called the mountain of God? This was actually Mount Sinai. Chorev is another name for Sinai, as we mentioned before. It is called the mountain of God in view of the events of the future, says Rashi, the commentary, in view of the future events. Because on this mountain, it's going to be the mountain where God will reveal himself. So it's the mountain of God. But Moses is the first to have a revelation at this mountain. What was that revelation? The burning bush. God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush, which was being consumed, which is on fire, but not being consumed. And there God says, first time to Moses, I am your God. I am the God of your father's grandfather of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, uh, time to send you to King Pharaoh to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. So that's the first time the Torah mentions this mountain, Mount Sinai. The reason why it's called Sinai is because the Hebrew word for the burning bush, for a thorn bush, is sneh. And sneh is like Sinai. It's called Sinai because that's where God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Now, why did he choose a thorn bush? That was because God was trying to give a message to the Jewish people that just as they are suffering, he feels their pain. Like he is appearing in a thorn bush, which is prickly. So that's why it's called Sinai, or one of the reasons the Talmud gives for the name Sinai. So we have here Sinai, we have Chorev. Chorev means desolate, it means barren. It means just, uh, you know, it was a mountain that, just a plain mountain. And if you look in the pictures, I mean, I'm sure there are other mountains that are barren, but this is apparently, I'm not sure if this is, um, if this is absolute, but many people attribute this mountain to be Mount Sinai. So Moses is there and actually God tells Moses, source number two, I will send you to Pharaoh. When you take the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Right at the onset of this whole plan of the Jewish people being redeemed from Egypt, God stipulates there's a reason for all of this. You guys are going to come here. The Jewish people are going to be led by Moses to come to this mountain and worship God. I have a great thing dependent on this exodus. For at the end of three months from their exodus from Egypt, they are destined to receive the Torah on this mountain. So this was all mapped out. This was all planned out. That God had a plan from the beginning of creation. That on the sixth day of the month of Sivan, he will offer the Torah to the Jewish people. And hopefully they'll accept. Had to be in the right time. First it was Adam. Ten generations later was Noah. Ten generations later was Abraham. And seven generations later was his great-grandson Moses. So Moses was the 26th generation from creation. And it was 2,448 years since creation when the Torah was given. But just at the right time, when the nation was ready, God made an offer. And when it came close to take them out of Egypt... The Jewish people were aware of this. When Moses came to the Jewish people and said, hey, God revealed himself to me and we're going to have 10 plagues and we're going to leave Egypt, they all knew they're going to worship God. They're going to have to stop eating non-kosher and so on. And all the stipulations and all the instructions that God has for them in the Torah. 
And when they came to Pharaoh, Moses said, we want to worship God in the desert. That's what they were saying. It wasn't just, hey, we want to leave Egypt. We're working too hard. They wanted to go to the desert to worship God, which happened at Mount Sinai. And when the Jewish people did indeed leave Egypt, they were so excited. They were so eager to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. And they said, when's it going to be? We just left Egypt. And God said, hey, not so fast. You're going to have 49 days, seven weeks from the first day of Passover until you get to Torah. These 49 days, the Jewish people were so excited, they eagerly counted down the days like a child waiting to leave school. When's camp going to start? When am I going to be a free bird? When am I going to be able to connect to God, fulfilling His commandments? One day, two days, three days, they counted the days. Well, you would think they would count down 49 days left, 48 days left, 47. But in fact, they counted the opposite. One day, two days, three days. And we have a mitzvah that we do the same thing. And one of the ideas of counting the Omer from Passover to Shavuot is that we are counting down to our holiday of Shavuot when we will re-experience and recommit ourselves to the Torah at this holiday. But we don't count down the days. We count the days up. Why is that? Because these are not just days that they had to wait. Why did God wait seven weeks? Source number nine, number eight, we had become so dirty from the Egyptian way of life that we were in no condition to receive the Torah just then. The 49 days were given as a time to cleanse ourselves and prepare for this most monumental occasion. Each day we took one step closer to becoming God's chosen nation. So we have one day. We worked on ourselves. We achieved. We polished ourselves for one day. The next day, two days, we worked on ourselves more. We became more humble, more committed, more kind, more refined. Two days we got. We got three days. I got 12 grades under my belt. Now I need four years of college. Now we're not counting down the days. We're counting up how much we accomplished and how much we prepared for the giving of the Torah. So just as the Jewish people did so, we do, we do the same. They prepared for this event. Well, finally, the weeks passed by, and when they were just a couple of days away from the 50th day upon which they would they received the Torah, source number nine, in the third month, they arrived in the desert of Sinai and encamped there opposite the mountain. The beginning of the third month, that is the first of the day. That's in the Hebrew calendar, Rosh Chodesh Sivan, the first of the month of Sivan, six days before receiving the Torah, they arrived at Mount Sinai in the Sinai desert and they encamped there. Now in the Hebrew wording, it says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael. And he rested and camped there at the mountain, which the Torah says many times how they traveled and they rested, they traveled and they encamped. And every other time the Torah describes this, it says in a plural, and they encamped there. They traveled from here and they rested there. It says they. But when it comes to Mount Sinai, it says it in a singular form, and he rested. The singular form says the Midrash denoting that they encamped there as one man with one heart. But all the other encampments were divided with complaints and with strife. They were kvetchers. They were kvetching. There was strife between the Jewish people. Maybe not everybody, but there was some issues. 
But when they came to Mount Sinai, he rested there. It was like one being, like one man with one heart. Why is that important? Because God's presence, source number 10, God's presence refuses to dwell amongst discord and disharmony. The unity, the harmony that the Jewish people experienced before the revelation at Sinai was a prerequisite for receiving the Torah. It cannot have been otherwise. God's presence refuses to dwell amongst amongst discord and disharmony. Only when the Jews were at peace with one another, this was part of the process of preparation. They had to reach this unity with one another and concern for one another. Could they achieve harmony with God as well and attain the degree of spirituality necessary to receive His Torah? The word for peace is shalom. Shalom is one of God's names. It's not considered God's name like we say in a blessing, but it's still considered one of the names of God. Peace. Because if we want to connect with God and we want to receive His Torah, we got to be peaceful with His creations, with His creatures, with His people, which possess a soul, which is the peace of God. So a prerequisite, a preparation for the Torah's receiving is unity. And that's why the Shabbos before, especially the Shabbos before Shavuot, which is usually around the day when the Jewish people came to Mount Sinai and had this unity, every year we do the same. It's called Shabbos Achtus, the Shabbos of unity. And that's why this Friday night we're having a TGIS, because we want to unite together in preparation for the giving of the Torah. And when I was in Yeshiva, we would have another yeshiva come to our yeshiva, we would go to another yeshiva, or a few yeshivas would get together for a Shabbaton. This is the Shabbos to get together in preparation for the giving of the Torah, to unite with others. Now, if you might say, how is it? It's not easy to unite with others. Everybody's different. Everybody has different character traits. Everybody has different viewpoints. And amongst the Jewish people, for sure. So how do we unite? The unity is hinted in this verse. It says they united, they, he rested there in a singular form. He, how do they unite? By the mountain, opposite the mountain. Which mountain? Mount Sinai. Source number 11, only when we are facing the mountain, Mount Sinai, devoid of ego and focused in anticipation on receiving God's word, do our differences pale in significance? Our differences still exist, but our common devotion to God's will, the mountain, Mount Sinai, transforms these differences into stepping stones to achievement rather than barriers to it. God created us with those differences. He could have made us all the same. And that is because each of us has a unique talent and a unique mission to fulfill with our viewpoint, our way of understanding things and doing things. But we each have a collective mission. We are all opposite the mountain. We're all here standing at Mount Sinai. So yes, we have differences, but all of our differences are in order to realize and to fulfill the purpose of creation with the giving of the Torah. 
So how do we attain unity? By recognizing that there's a higher purpose over here. We're all focused on the mountain, on the Torah which was given at Mount Sinai. We share a collective national mission, and really of all of humanity, to make this world a better place, guided by the teachings of the Torah, the teachings and directives of the Creator of God Almighty, spelled out to us at Mount Sinai. So that unity is something we need to work on, something we need to incorporate into our preparations for the holiday of Sinai. So the Jewish people are on Mount Sinai, they're united, and now we turn the page to source number 12, our third section. It's finally the time. It's 2,448 years since creation. It's 26 generations. We had the first 10 generations from Adam to Noah, the next 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. After Abraham came his son Isaac, then Jacob, then his son Levi, then his son Kahat, then his son Amram, and his son Moses. 26 generations later, the Jewish people are a nation standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. Day one of the month, the first of Sivan, they arrive at the mountain. They're united. Day number two, God says, okay, are you guys ready? I'm going to offer you the Torah. Are you guys ready for this covenant? Once you're in, there's no way out. It's a one-way street. This is serious. And the Midrash actually tells us that God offered the Torah to other nations and they said, oh, that's nice, but not for us. And the Jewish people are now offered the Torah. Source number 12, God called to Moshe from the mountain on the second day of the month, the second day of Sivan, which is known as Yom Hameyuchas, the, I guess, special day, the day that we entered a covenant, even before we actually heard the Ten Commandments. God called to Moshe from the mountain saying, if you obey me and keep my covenant, this is for Moses to saying, to relate to the Jewish people, then you shall be to me a treasure out of all peoples and you shall be to me a kingdom of princes and a holy nation. God offers this to the Jewish people. Are you guys ready to obey? Are you ready to commit? People didn't even know yet exactly what's going to be. I mean, they got some ideas before. They got Shabbos. They got Tefillin. They heard things from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, certain traditions. But they didn't know fully everything that this entails. And yet, what did the people reply? All the people replied in unison and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we shall do. Whatever God says, we'll, we'll keep our covenant. They didn't even hear it yet. They only heard it, Ten Commandments. Later, a couple days later, and the rest of the Torah took some time. But yet, the Jew says, if this is God, our creator, that's offering us his book, his wisdom, his instructions, then we want in. We want this relationship. No matter what he tells us. It's like a marriage. I just want you. I want to be married to you. (laughs) Whatever you say, I'm going to do because I want you. That was day number two. And the Jewish people's response is known as Naseh Venishma, which is the Jewish people's readiness to do and then we will hear. We're, we're ready. We're ready for this, Hashem. We're so in love that we're ready to accept your commandment. And then you'll tell us. We'll hear. We'll hear what we got to do. Just tell us what to do. But we're in. That was the second day. 
Okay, God's excited, I guess. He says, source 13, uh, before source 8, so God says, okay, here was God's uh, initial plan, that God will communicate to Moses the Ten Commandments, and the Jewish people will sort of witness this, but not be spoken to directly. But when Moses tells this to the Jewish people, Moses hears the Jewish people reply and tells back to God, source 13, there is no comparison between one who hears a message from the messenger and one who hears it from the king himself. They say, Moses tells God, we want to see our king. If we're getting married, I want to see the bride. I want to see the groom. I want to see what's going on. I want to see God. Till now, they just had Moses representing God to them. He came to them to Egypt. He brought the plagues and split the sea. They wanted to see God. They said, we want to hear this ourselves. God says, okay. For that, they shall be prepared for the third day. And on the third day, the Lord will descend before the eyes of all the people. God says, that's beautiful. They want to see me. For that, they need preparation. Three days of preparation. And that was the third, the fourth, and the fifth day of the month. And on the sixth day, God says, he will descend upon the mountain. And they will have a chance to see God. So the Jewish people had to prepare it. What exactly was their preparation? There were lots of details, but didn't have a chance to bring everything here. Number one, they had to separate from their spouses and they need to immerse in a mikvah, in a body of water, which they had miraculously, the rolling stone. They had the stone that gushed forth water to provide for the Jewish people, which provided them with a river stream where they could immerse and they brought a sacrifice and they uh, did basically what every convert does today. They accepted the Torah, that's number one. They accepted to follow God's commandments, to be part of this covenant and to fulfill God's will. Number two, they immersed in a mikvah, which was the second thing. And number three, well, they were circumcised before because in Egypt they had to be circumcised. And number, if they were male. And number four, they had bring, brought a sacrifice, which these are the things that apply today. Anytime a convert genuinely is interested in becoming a member of the Jewish people, they have to commit to following the Torah, as the Jews did then, becoming part of God's covenant, and immersed in a mikvah. And if they didn't have a bris, they need to undergo a circumcision. And when the temple will be rebuilt, a convert has to bring a sacrifice, as the Jews did back then. So they went about preparing for three days. And on the third day, which was Shabbos, the Torah was given on Shabbos, the holy day. It only makes sense. Shabbos is the holy day. Source number 14, early in the morning, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud was upon the mountain and a very powerful blast of a shofar. And the entire nation that was in the camp shuddered. It was early morning. The Jewish people were still sleeping. Moshe brought the people out towards God from the camp. The entire mountain shook. I'm sorry, the entire mountain smoked because the Lord had descended upon it in fire and the entire mountain quaked violently. These are the words the Torah uses to describe this experience at Mount Sinai and the Jewish people are there. And at the moment... When all the Jewish people are ready, 
God begins to speak. God says to the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Utterances, God spoke, source 15, all these words and saying, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. That's why God took them out of Egypt, right? They were aware that they're coming out of Egypt in order to worship God at this mountain. That was the first of the Ten Commandments. And then it went on to the rest of the commandments, to not worship idols. Number three, do not use God's name in vain. Do not swear falsely. Number four, to observe the Shabbos. Number five, to honor your parents. Number six, do not kill. Do not kidnap. Do not be a false witness. Do not commit adultery. And finally, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. The Torah knows. God knows what humans have challenges with. And God instructs us. These are the Ten Commandments. But God didn't get further than the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people cannot handle this uh, experience, as we'll see in a moment. But these are the Ten Commandments. And that's why if you look at any, in any synagogue, you will notice that, as we see here, you will notice the two tablets, Ten Commandments. Whether it's where the Ark is, the Torah is, or on the outside building, the design of the synagogue. Interesting that here, the top of the tablets are round, which is not necessarily a Jewish version. Our tablets are square or rectangular, really square, based on uh, our tradition. But either way, the two tablets, Ten Commandments. And we saw that in Arkansas and other places, they have these monuments of the Ten Commandments. Pretty amazing. They even have, uh, you know, some Jewish, I don't know who erected this monument. And I think it's being challenged. How can this be erected on um, state property? But here you have it, the Ten Commandments. So we will have a grand reading of the Ten Commandments on Friday, next week Friday, May 26th, which is the anniversary, the 3,335th anniversary of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Now, very interesting that the Torah describes another couple of sentences what happened at Mount Sinai. Source number 16. All the people saw the voices. Interesting that uh, we mentioned in a previous lesson that uh, Zodiac for this month, the month of Sivan in which the Torah was given and Ten Commandments were given is Gemini, which means twins, because we got twin tablets. Two tablets that were identical in size and each contained five of the commandments. Interesting that one side had many more words than the other side. There's a total of 620 letters in the Ten Commandments. Um, most of them are in the first five. They didn't look perfectly identical because the first five had a lot more words engraved on them than the other than the second set, which had five shorter commandments like "Do not kill," just two words "Lot Tirzach." Whereas, let's say Shabbos is very long. Remember the six days of creation, honor the Shabbos, and work for six days and rest on the seventh, and not perform any work, not you and your children, and so on. Um, but interesting that these Ten Commandments, even though there were just ten, and only later did they get the rest of the Torah. Ten Commandments, in the Torah there are 613 commandments, and there's lots of stories and lots of, lots of other information in, in the five books. 
that was communicated to Moses after the Ten Commandments were given for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the Torah, which he later taught to the Jewish people. And certain parts of the Torah were only told to him and them during their sojourn in the desert for 40 years when different things uh, popped up. And it was necessary for Moses and to instruct them. Eventually, after 40 years of forest passing, Moses codified, codified, canonized the five books of Moses with entire 613 commandments. But right at the beginning, when the Ten Commandments were given, they were somehow included. All of the Torah, all of the 613 commandments were somehow hinted and alluded to and embedded in the Ten Commandments. And there are books, like going back uh, from the Geonim, which break down, I believe, how each of the commandments contain all the six, future 630 commandments. But the lettering, there are 620 letters, and they allude that these 10 commandments, which contain 620 letters, allude to the 630 commandments, plus the seven rabbinic commandments, which are included in the 620. So, uh, for example, one of the rabbinic mitzvahs is Hanukkah. There's the mitzvah to kindle the menorah every night of Hanukkah, but that only happened during the Second Temple era, way over a thousand years after the giving of the Torah, but that is considered a mitzvah. Okay, so getting back to source number 16. All the people saw the voices. This is what the Torah tells us. roim Hello, Marina and Jessica. They saw the voices. Now, you don't see voices. You hear voices. If you see voices, you belong in a, or that person belongs in a special ward. We don't see voices. We hear voices. But the Torah says that at Mount Sinai, they didn't just hear God's voice. And whatever God's voice means, it's a topic for itself. What does it actually mean? They heard a voice. But perhaps it was some sort of sensation or absolute feeling, whatever that means, that God doesn't have a voice. But simply, it's a voice. And all the people saw the voices. What does it mean they saw? And what was the point of such a miracle if they did see it? So here's the Kabbalah. Here's the Hasidic idea. Let's talk about... What does the Midrash say? They saw what was audible, which is impossible to see elsewhere. What does that mean? And what was the point of such a miracle? Seeing something creates a profound connection that resonates in us with deep certainty. As they say, seeing is believing. If you see something, then you saw it with your own eyes. So seeing represents something which really resonates deeply. You're really absolutely sure and certain that this thing, in this thing, no one has to convince you. You saw it with your own eyes. Whereas while hearing or hearing something or hearing about something is more vague, less certain. You have a doubt. You hear it. It makes sense to you. Or you heard something. Hearing could also be knowing about something. You are aware of it because someone told you about it. But makes sense today. Maybe someone will convince you differently soon. You can change your mind. So hearing represents something which is less certain, not as absolute. 
not as real. Our connection to the physical can be equated to sight. Deep and certain. While we can only hear and infer spiritual matters. There's a anecdote from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev. Bardichev is a city in Ukraine. There was a great rabbi there, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. And he's buried there in Bardichev. Lived a couple hundred years ago. And a very great lover and defender of the Jewish people. And he has many teachings. He has a book called Kedusha Slevi. And one of his teachings is that, or stories, many stories about him, that he would sort of, he told God, like, what do you want from the Jewish people? You put in front of them all the physical stuff, all the pleasures of life, and that's what we can relate to easily. That's what we can feel. That's what we can see and experience very in a tangible way. Whereas the spiritual things you put in the books. In the books, it tells us about God. It tells us about the Torah. It tells us about spirituality and all the other stuff, selfless kind of stuff that we got to learn about. We don't feel it. We don't see you, God. We don't see spirituality. We don't see that when we do a mitzvah, there is this great light and great energy that gets transformed and drawn down into this world. We don't see it with our own eyes. We don't have those glasses. So it's not fair. You know, do it the opposite way, he says to God. You know, put the Torah, put godliness, put God in our face and put all of the books, fill fill the books with all the delicacies and all kinds of fantasies and pleasures. And then, you know, maybe it's a fair deal. Right? He's trying to defend the Jewish people. Obviously, the God made it this way, designed it this way, and he hid himself because he wants us to find him. And that's the whole game of life, to try and overcome what's easy and look for the truth and look for spirituality. But at Matan Torah, at the foot of the mountain at Mount Sinai, millions of Jewish people and all future souls, they did experience godliness with their eyes, meaning they has such a certainty and the reality of godliness of God was so real that they had no doubt about his existence of the spiritual reality. What was usually just heard, they saw. What we usually just hear about, we hear about godliness. We don't see it. But at that point, they saw the voices. They saw it. It was so certain by them. It was so real. It was so deep. There was no questions. There was no doubt. It permeated their being and it was just so real that they saw it. They saw what usually was heard. And the things that we are usually heard, all the physical stuff, that they just I'm sorry, the things that they usually see, all the physical stuff, they were just vaguely hearing about. It was like, that's not what was primary and real to them at that moment. It was, was a real godly experience impressing upon them the truth of God. Now, God's not going to do that every moment and every generation. He did it once in history. And he tells us, as we saw in Source 1, tell this to your children. Don't forget it. And when we start Hakafot, every Simchas Torah, we start the celebration of the Torah, we say, You God, you showed us that there is nothing else beside you and there's no truth like your truth. And we say it, well, we heard from our parents and grandparents who were all there at Mount Sinai. You can't make up such a story of millions of people being at Mount Sinai. That is a deeper re- idea of 
what the Torah tells us is the Jewish people saw what was usually heard. The godliness that they heard about from Moses, that they heard and believed in God, they actually saw it. It was real to them. It became so deep that there were no doubts. But this experience was very awesome and very overwhelming. And Source 17, the people saw and trembled. So they stood from afar. They said to Moshe, you speak with us and we will hear from you. But let God not speak with us lest we die. The rest of the Torah, please Moshe, you go up there, you learn it from God and communicate it to us. We can't handle this. They were drawing backwards 12 mil, very far distance. And the angels came and assisted them in order to bring them back. This was a very awesome and overwhelming experience for the Jewish people. Now, from time to time, it's good to just seclude ourselves and study some Torah and try to relive this. And especially on the holiday of Shavuot, to try to feel that absolute immersion in the Torah and try to just hear about the physical and the material world and regular kind of stuff, bodily stuff, and try to live a spiritual reality. Once in a while when we study Torah or we're out of our bringing, we lift ourselves up and we try to internalize this spiritual reality. And later we get back to normal life, but we have that inspiration, hopefully. We are at our, we are at our fourth section. Now we know what happened at Mount Sinai. And of course, there are many, many more details. It is the most monumental and important event in history, especially Jewish history. And there's so much about all the details, so many lessons. But we'll just focus on a couple ideas in our fourth section here. Source number 18. Chai. The All-Merciful One gave the threefold Torah. Talk about numbers, numerology. What's a good number? So we know seven is a good number. Seven times seven. Got to mention that joke. Seven times seven, the 49 days that the Jewish people prepared. So some friends convince Sam to buy a lottery ticket. He's a bit uh, hesitant. He doesn't really believe in this stuff, but he's actually going to win. Interesting. <laughs> you know how many people believe that they're going to win the lottery? It's like, I think like 30 or 40% of people that buy a ticket, they actually believe that they're going to win. There's a, high, a good chance they're going to win. It's pretty amazing. But they don't believe so many other things which are so more, so much more common that's going to happen to them. Either way, um, they convince Sam to buy a lottery ticket. He buys a ticket, and lo and behold, he wins. First time buying a ticket, and he wins a very significant sum of money. His friends come and congratulate him. They say, how did you know the number? That you know, How did you know which number to pick? And he says, it was a little bit of mazel, a little bit of seichel, a little bit of good luck, and a little bit of good logic. He says, what was the logic? He says, we all know Jewish number seven is a good number. Seven days Shabbos. So I figured if seven is a good number, a lucky number, seven times seven is for sure a good number. As we see here, they prepared seven times seven, seven weeks, 49 days. 
friends are scratching their head. They said, Sam, 7 times 7 is 49. The lucky number, the winning number was 48. He says, aha, that's where my mazel came in. My luck, I was never good at math. So, that's number 7. There's another number, number 3. Number 3 is very much connected to the Torah. As the Talmud says, source 18, the all-merciful one gave the threefold Torah. The Torah itself is threefold. The Torah has three sections. The Torah, which is the five books of Moses. The prophets, which has the eight books of the prophets. And writings, which has the eleven books of the writings, which are Psalms and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and so on. So the Torah itself is made up of three parts. To the threefold nation, the Jewish people are divided into three categories. The priests, the Kohens, the Levites, and the Israelites, or uh, the Kohen families, and the, the Levies, and every all of the Jewish last names. By means, it was given to this third, the third three-part Torah, given to the three-part people, by means of a third-born, Moshe, who followed Aaron and Miriam in birth order. He was the third in his family. He had an older brother, Mary, older brother Aaron and an older sister, Miriam, and he was the third in his family. And it was given on the third day of preparation, God said, the three days. And in the third month of Sivan, they left Egypt and Nisan, the month of Iyar, and then a Sivan. There's a lot of threes over here. What is unique about the number three? How does the number three relate to the Torah itself? And God chooses all of these threes to connect to the Torah. And that is in source 19. One represents unity, but it is an inherent unity not a created one. The only true unity of this sort is God. So number one is unity. There's only one. There's no discord. There's just one. You need somebody else to fight with, to disagree with. Not like the Jew on the island who had two synagogues, one synagogue he goes to and one that he will not step foot into. You got to have someone to argue with. One is not, one is unity. But it's not a unity because two people came together or somehow blended and came to an agreement, there is only one. There's just one. It's single. The only one is God. God is just one. But that's not a, that's an inherent unity. So one, the number one represents Hashem, represents the name. If you're following the J text, Shem is name, Hashem is the name. We don't say his name, the name. God. Two, the number two signifies the duality, the constant dichotomy of body and soul, physical and spiritual and good and evil. Number two, there are two, two things there. There's spirituality, there's physicality, there's God, there's myself. There's so many different things there. There's good and evil. There's two. There's, there's a disagreement. There's a discord. That's what two represents. So two represents the reality of this world, which seems to be concealing God. God's not really noticeable. We got to learn about it and think about it. And then there's the three. Number three represents or introduces a third element, the Torah that blends the two. The number three is the peacemaker, not choosing one side, not choosing one or two, not choosing God or choosing the world. But blending the two. That's what the Torah is. The Torah is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is infinite. God is so infinite. And this world is so finite. How can we blend the two? 
the Torah is a contraction, is God's wisdom distilled in a finite kind of form that us beings can, finite beings can absorb the Torah and the Torah thus blends, fuses together and melds a united entity, a world, human beings, Jewish people living in this world, which is guided by God's wisdom. And that is the Torah. So the Torah is unique to number three, just like number three brings peace and brings together the two different elements. That's what the Torah does. Blends, it reconciles the two. It doesn't choose one. It doesn't choose just God. Some religions or some ideas are discard and discard, you know, to do away with this world. You got to meditate and fast and don't eat and just distance yourself from this world and just try to be one, like God. Connect to godliness. Others will say, maybe the Greeks or some others will say, forget God. Just enjoy life. There's just this world which was given to us. What do they say? Live uh, and make merry and because uh, tomorrow you will die. Just make, make the best of all the pleasure that this world has to offer. But then there is the Torah, number three, which wants us to live in this world, but find God and live life, marry, have children, have a family, have a job, but elevate this world. And that is the Torah. The Torah is in the number three, which melds and reconciles these two things together. Number 20, God gave the Torah in the ownerless desert. God could have chosen a, uh, a beautiful mansion or a baseball field or, I don't know, to bring uh, the Jewish people together in the city or in a civilized place. Why the desert in the Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Israel? So the Midrash says, God gave the Torah in the ownerless desert, not anywhere else, making it clear that it, is, it does not belong to anybody in particular. Anybody that so chooses can make the Torah their own. It doesn't belong to the elite, to the scholars. Every Jew can study Torah. And that is the first verse that we teach Jewish children. Torah tzivalanu Moshe. Moses taught us the Torah. Morasha kehilat Yaakov. It is an inheritance to the congregation of Israel. An inheritance, you don't, you don't got to do nothing to be an inheritor. If you are a member of this family, a child, a relative, then you inherit. It could be a baby one day old. You inherit. It belongs to you. Not because you deserve it, but just because it's yours, because of who you are. We have an neshama. We have a soul. And we have a gift that was given to us. That gift is the Torah. It doesn't, if it was given in a city, the people of that city will say, hey, the Torah is ours. God chose us to give it to you. It's our Torah. Whoever lives in that locale, it's somehow more connected and owned by them. God chose the desert, the ownerless desert. Everybody goes there. Don't got to pay a fee to uh, cross through the desert. The desert is ownerless. The Torah it's not like uh, being a Kohen, you know, you have to be born specifically to a Kohen family. Or if you want to be a king, you have to be born to the descendants of King David. The Torah belongs to everybody. Source number 21. 
Well, why did a guy choose to give the Torah on a mountain? Okay, in the desert, but the desert could be in the flat plain of the desert. Why a mountain? Source 21 says the Talmud, the person should always learn proper behavior from the wisdom of his creator. As God disregarded all of the mountains and hills and rested his divine presence on the lowly Mount Sinai. You look at Mount Sinai, it is from the lowest mountains of the surrounding area. It is very unimposing and there are many other great mountains that God could have chosen to give the Torah upon. Yet God chose the lowly and humble Mount Sinai to teach us humility. You gotta be humble. Especially when you want to learn Torah, gotta be humble. We gotta recognize this is God's Torah. This is infinite wisdom. We gotta just try. One of the Torah values is humility. Be bashful. But God taught us that by giving the Torah on a low mountain, not the highest mountain. But why on a mountain altogether? If God wants to teach us humility, he should have given the Torah straight on the ground, on the plain, on the straight desert floor. Or even more so, on a, in a valley. Could have had the Jews up on the edges of the valley and God looking down to God in the valley, teaching us real humility. Comes along the Lubavitcher Rebbe and teaches us that humility is important, but that does not suffice. We cannot feel like a nobody. Source number 22. Humility must be complemented with self-assurance. Without self-assurance, we cannot presume to impose the Torah's dictates on a sometimes unwilling world. We must cultivate pride and uplifting joy based on our awareness that we are God's partners in implementing His plan for creation. We have an assignment. Each and every one of us is a soldier in God's army. We have a, a mission. We can't just be humble, be in the valley down there, or we're nobody. We are somebody. God created us. We are indispensable. We have a unique mission for us to accomplish with our unique traits, characters, backgrounds, everything about us. So we got to be humble. We got to recognize that we are part of a big picture. And God created us with a mission. And we need to submit and be devoted to fulfilling that mission. Yet, we have to recognize that we are important. We have a mission to accomplish. God is depending on us. And the world is depending on us. Every mitzvah we do, we make this world a better place. And one final source, source 23. A mountain expresses the ideal of elevating the physical world. A mountain is made of same earth as a plane but it has been raised upward. It thus demonstrates that even lifeless dirt, the lowliest element of creation, can be elevated to the highest levels. What's a mountain? A mountain is earth just like the rest of the desert, but it is dirt which is elevated. And that's the whole purpose of the Torah. Number three, to take not the twos, and bring them together, bring the two and one together. To take the world, take lifeless dirt, take something mundane. Not openly holy. And elevate it. Make it a mountain. By giving the Torah Mount Sinai, God was visualizing to the Jewish people what the whole purpose of life is now. 
what the whole purpose of creation is, which is all waiting for this moment of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai on the sixth day of Sivan. And the Jewish people accepting the Torah. To take earth, to take this world, which seems to be devoid, empty of holiness, and to make it into a mountain, to make it holy, to make it into Mount Sinai, to bring the godliness, to fuse it together. Every time we do a mitzvah, we make this world holy. Why is the synagogue holy? Because we pray there, and it's a place dedicated to the service of God. Why is a mezuzah holy? Why is a book of Torah that falls on the floor, we pick it up, we give it a kiss, because it's holy, it's sacred. The physical binder, the physical paper, assumes a certain degree of holiness, and therefore we bury it in the ground. Lovingly, when it's out of use, because it contains holiness, it's a mountain. It was elevated and consecrated. There's something different. I can't really see it, but it's there. It's elevated. And that is the whole purpose of the giving of the Torah. So, wrapping up today's lesson, thank you everybody for joining. We discussed, we explored, we delved into the story of the revelation at Sinai 3,335 years ago, which we will be commemorating next week on Friday, on May 26th, the sixth day of the month of Sivan, the anniversary of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, what led up to this special occasion and important and critical event, how important it is to teach our children about this event, never to forget and to prepare for this holiday and recognize the purpose of it all. So, it's all about peace. It's all about shalom. Making peace between God and this world. Bringing them together. And that is why when the Torah is lifted in the synagogue and the one lifting the Torah does Hagba and turns the Torah to show it to all the congregants, we sing, It's Chayim He. We, we praise the Torah that shalom. all of the ways of the Torah are shalom, are peaceful. That's what the Torah is about, to make peace. Peace between spirituality and physicality, bringing them together. And when we meet another Jew, we say shalom. And when we say goodbye, we say shalom. Shalom Aleichem. And we welcome the angels Friday night. Shalom Aleichem. Peace upon you. Shalom. Shalom is the name of God because we recognize that true peace is when we have the Torah, when we have God, which is called shalom. And that is what unites all of us together in our collective mission. So, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for joining for today's Lunch and Learn. I hope that was inspiring, enlightening, and looking forward to next week's Lunch and Learn, where we will delve more into this holiday of Shavuot. Very short holiday, two-day holiday. And this year, the second day coincides with Shabbos. So, it's just Friday Shabbos. But doesn't get as much attention as Passover, as uh, Simchas Torah, Hanukkah, or other Rosh Hashanah holidays, but very significant, important, biblical holiday. See you next week. Have a wonderful day.